This is the Daily Practice Podcast with Crystal Borelli and Andrea Hellman. Harium, Harium, Harium. Do you think that this one we could do just like a nice Harium, like just to sort of like let go of everything that came right up until the second? Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Look at me just what, turning everything on its side. Yeah. I love it. I love a good like... <laughs> Hariom. I love a good Hariom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Great. So fuck, I love this mantra. So this one's a mantra to Shiva and um, it can also be referenced to Vishnu as well and the sustainer, but also with Shiva, it's the one of, of uh, dissolving the forms of darkness and really stepping into uh, the light. So really looking at the shadow, looking at, you know, any type of um, ignorance that's there or our own work, our own karmas, um, these deep rooted samskaras, these patterns, and um, to go in and, and do the work and, and step into it right? And from there, we learn to heal and grow and evolve. And then so we can be liberated to the light. Om Hari Om Hari Om Hari Om Om Hari Om Hari teacher Yogesh Bhaktu, Yogiji, he says Hariyum to like let things go or like if something happens and then it, it goes sideways, like what Andrea just threw at me, he was like, hey, Hariyum, let's go. You know, like I yeah. would also say, um, there's a word, it says um, cello, which is like, all right, let's go. Cello, let's go. And Hariyum is let it go. I loved like just thinking, like just shaking it off, like everything right up until the second, all that, like just don't carry it anymore. Let it go. Yeah. Fuck yeah. It's heavy. I mean, I'm totally down. Yeah. <laughs> which directs us into like a conversation today, which is we're going to talk a little bit about uh, meditation. Yeah. And even before we went into that, because I love the, the guiding force of this one was written in by like one of your students. Oh, yeah. As like a question. Mm -hmm. And because hers was about like meditation and, and struggling like to find the discipline or anyways, we'll talk more about that in a second. Mm -hmm. But then it was reminding me of my reason, I guess, for loving this podcast and like dedicating. I was speaking with our mutual friend, Kristen Campbell, this morning. Mm, oh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> and then she said, whoa, you've committed to doing a podcast every single week. Like that's uh, and I said, quite a commitment. And she said, yeah. And I... 
was thinking about it and my intention also with doing it is to be producing it for people but it's also like for myself because I look at my crystal as quite a teacher yesterday when I was driving and I was listening back to all the podcasts with like my sister and so we were like the person experiencing it like we were driving in our truck and then we were like singing mantras and like listening to the stories and laughing and like Mm -hmm like just like loving it, you know? And I was just thinking of like how much the way I think has shifted just in these last couple of months. And I'm really, I like like little experiments. Like I'm excited to see where I land um, this time, like next year. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. And, and what your student wrote in is like the things that I really struggle with too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. I think it's relatable to a lot of people. Do you want to say basically what she said? Yeah. This, so this comes from student, hopefully I can say her name. Um, she doesn't mind. It's Tiara out of uh, LA. I call her T. <laughs> She's a rad human being and she wrote, I've been wondering about your thoughts on meditation, which is awesome. Different techniques and styles and how to drop in. How do you start and how did it evolve to what it is now? I found when I was in deep in some stuff, it was actually easier to get into the space. But over the last few years, what used to work for me isn't anymore. I really struggle to get to that blissful state or bliss state when I feel I get clarity or messages. How to come back to what I know I used to be able to do. And has that happened to you and led you to other methods? Ooh, let's unpack that before we dive into the how. Yeah, that's a, I mean, there's many parts of that mm-hmm. lots of, yeah like when you first read it what do you think of I think of gratitude that she's reaching out and asking that she's um, wanting to know and get the tools mm-hmm. I think that how beautifully courageous that is mm-hmm. first off that's my first intuitive connection to it mm-hmm. my first reaction to it is wow that's amazing she has healed herself at like that first level or maybe not first level, but she's like healed herself to a place and now she's like ready to grow. Mm -hmm. I also find it fascinating. I was like, wow, that's so interesting that when you're going, when she expressed that when she's going through her darkest, you know, shadow period of time that it was easier to drop in Mm -hmm. um, than it is. And I I think that goes back to like a daily practice and routine that once like we, a lot of people and I find students of yoga arrive on their mat when they're in their hardest, Mm -hmm. most dire kind of like drop to their knees situation. They're going through a lot of grief or hardships in their life and they return to yoga to heal or to get that part of them that feels connected to themselves is that they return back to their mat and pretty much what she's talking about back to her practices and easier to drop in that way. But then once we feel light, we don't use it as much, right? We're like, oh, I'm good. I'm healthy. I'm fine. It's like when we start to get sick, that's when we take the extra tinctures and a vecchinacea and the vitamin C's and try to get mm-hmm. ourselves healthy. But what do we do in that regulation time before that? So the daily practice, this idea of like doing something on a regular basis of um, self-discipline to keep ourselves in that, like the middle path is like Buddha would say. So it's not so deep in those shadows and highs and lows. It's like, how can you find a consistency and feel the highs and feel the lows, but not let it affect your life so much that it comes into a chaotic place, you know, too much all the time, obviously it doesn't, isn't good. And too, too much sympathetic isn't good. So it's kind of like, how do we find that nice balance and harmony of the system. Yeah. Like when you think of, um, like in a completely destroyed state being like a 10, you know, like Mm -hmm. in some sort of situational depression and then, or maybe the other way. So that'd be like a zero. And then 10 is being like blissful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Ryan, like the, the run of your life kind of thing. (laughs) 
And it's like, yeah, like I don't want to live at tens and zeros, you know, but if I could enjoy five, six, sevens, eights. But I also don't want to live just at a five all the time either. Like you, and that's not what life is. Life is definitely creating harmony and balance, but also going through the experiences that you need to, which are hardships in life. Mm -hmm. But it's like, how do you, how do you be in those hardships without going so low to the zero? You know, you can get to that low, low vibe quite easily. So it's like how, what tools when you're in that space, how do you keep yourself up to that place? You stay in it, but with a bit of, um, like having that connection to the light just enough to maintain as you learn and grow what you need to in that place. And that's where the techniques come in. So that was like our first thing. And then like the second layer, I'm not looking at it now, but I read it a couple of days ago. The I think it's like finding motivation and the discipline and like the consistency, or do you think it's elevating your practice and maybe making it like a little bit longer or deeper or adding like different things to it? I think that um, consistency is good to be totally honest with you. Like I go in and out of having a consistent practice. Do you go in and out of emotions too? Like, are you riding the ride? Or are you, Oh, I'm a Leo. I'm like, my, I can just hear Michael, my husband right now, just be like, you're the most emotional person in the world. He calls, he often, he says, he's like, Oh, it's drama class today. When I'm like really emotional. Cause I'll like, <laughs> he's like, Oh, here comes Crystal and her drama. <laughs> but no. So go back and go back to the, um, I think that, um, consistency is good. And I, I think that, um, like anything meditation practice is a practice. So sometimes it's going to feel, um, like you, uh, the more you do it, the easier it is to drop in. So like before I used to, you know, take quite a while to even, if not, was, I wasn't comfortable, my back hurt, my body hurt to sit. Like I was like, this doesn't work for me. Um, or the mind was racing or whatever it is, but now I can close my eyes. I can drop right into meditation because I know the techniques and it just becomes a strengthening, like muscle memory almost. Right. So, um, but I think that to find technique or techniques that, uh, resonate that help you and to work on that. Um, we talked a little bit with Julia about that book, Breathe, by James Neeser. Oh, yeah. Oh, I ordered that. It should be arriving Nice. yesterday. It should have come. I'm going to check into that. Thank I think that will be a cool one for you to read. Yeah, I'm Bali, excited about on the it. Beaches. So, I don't think I'll have time to read. No. <laughs> but thanks. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. At this time, the time of you guys listening to this podcast, Crystal is going to be dousing in the sun. Yeah, well, yeah. Anyways, we'll get we'll get back to my thing though. So <laughs> when, when I was reading James Neeser's Breathe, there's a part where he talks about um, athletes cutting off all of their breathing for a certain amount of time and then exercising at like full speed, and like 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 you know like working and changing and shifting with that. So I've been doing it on the on the Peloton, not for like like honestly for like 20 second intervals. And what is your experience coming of what do you feel doing that? Like what is the sensation or feeling after you do that? So far, not that much. Like, cause I think I haven't committed fully to it, but I think it's, I don't know, but then you could tell me what the thing is. Like, is it just like a different way for my mind to be entertained or is it like teaching my body like different things? I have no idea that technique, so I can't mm-hmm. speak to it. Mm-hmm. Well, if you related it to meditation, so say, um, say when I'm starting my meditation practice, I have to have a candle lit. I have to be in like a really quiet, like can't have like any external noise, you know, like I have to be in a very like calm state. I have to like control 
everything in like the outer world around me so that I can like drop into my like internal world. That's what you need. That's what you need. Well, I'd say a lot of people would be like that in the beginning, like, like kind of like eliminating all of these distractions so we could really focus. But I think that- creating a space. Yeah. I feel like eventually none of that is going to matter or should matter. Mm-hmm. Like you look at India, like we walk into my, um, where I take the people for the retreat, the Deva Center um, next door. I love it. It's like right next door to my ashram with my teacher. It's right next door to the cooking school, the Ayurvedic cooking school. It's right next to the Ayurvedic doctor. So we go into the Ayurvedic doctor and he's, his wife, Arti is, you know, the one that greets you and he's, you know, the doctor. So he's off, you know, with patients or he's in the back, but often I come in and he's doing his chanting, his prayer. So he's sitting there full in mantra, like chanting, chanting, mm-hmm. chanting. And her and I are sitting basically next to him, next to the altar. And he's still in it. And we're having a full conversation about like booking an appointment. And I'm like, do you want me to talk quieter? Like we can, I can come back. She's like, no, no, it's fine. Like, mm-hmm. so the whole point is that you find that sense of peace, that meditation, that sense of calm within the chaos, whatever's happening around you like instead of yeah it is nice to build it to start in sure like a a quiet space but reality is that it's hard to find that quiet on the external to you know so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sometimes the outer sounds help make it easier to go to the inner sounds inner world but yeah again I think it's practice totally yeah but I, I was just wondering if that is but I guess that's as you're like stripping away all these like little traumas and things you're holding on to um, that you're not triggered by those noises or sensations and things because totally. you're so grounded in your, your own. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like coming out of Shavasana and often I teach a lot of privates. And so whoever's house it is, let's say there's a group of people and whoever's house it is, we come out of Shavasana and that person that owns the house is like, the first thing they mention is the sound. Oh, I'm so sorry about the hammering outside or, oh my God, I can't believe my alarm was going off. Like wherever everyone else didn't even notice it, but because it's your holding a space, it's your house, then they are more attentive to it. But I'm like, we don't need to talk about that one distraction that could have been an opportunity. Like in India, there's monkeys, you know, there's bells, there's jackhammers. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I'm like, the reality is, is that you're not going to find a quiet place. Yeah. When, when you say that about whoever's holding this or who is hosting basically. Yeah. Yeah. When you're saying that about whoever is hosting to me, the way that I hear it is they're just like people pleasing, which is something I identify with. Mm -hmm, Of course. And so you're not really letting yourself let go because you're so worried about like others. And totally, I think our society or, or whatever, maybe even just like gender profiling and everything, we're, we're sort of like taught to, um, that it's bad to like think about ourselves or like we're selfish and it's like labeled in some sort of like negative thing. Mm -hmm. And then it always comes back to that same analogy of when you're on the plane, you gotta like put your gas mask on first. Cause if, you know, if you aren't in a good place, you're not gonna be able to take care of anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Oh yeah. So we're kind of off of, uh, our thing. What was that question? <laughs> <laughs> we talk about this in our mythic intro to, to mantra course is that to like create a, a beautiful like space. So if you, and that is, if you're new to meditation, yes, maybe that's what feels really good for you is to have a designated designated spot. And maybe you do light candle and have your mm-hmm. crystals and create an altar and this safe kind of spot that you want to go to time and time again. And that is, you know, goes back to like this power of intention of prayer. I like guess usually you go to, or not usually, but you can go to a place that holds something of um, connection of value that you want to resonate with and you sit 
at it. And, um, and that's where you do your mantra and that's where you drop your meditation and your breathing and all that kind of stuff. So you could do that. Mm-hmm. Do you think she was asking for like the discipline or she was just asking how to take it to that super blissed out state again? Yeah. Um, different techniques and styles and how to drop in. Mm-hmm. How did you start and how did it evolve to what it is now? So yeah. How did I start? Okay. So well, uh, in the womb. <laughs> With the Hopi tribe. With the Hopi tribe. I'm, I'm in Samantha. I call her Mama Moonbeam. My mom, Samantha Moonbeam's belly, just like Ashtavakra. <laughs> well, I think this summer we should interview both your parents. Yeah. Um, my dad has a hard time hearing, so that would be I like his hearing starting to go, so that would maybe be a challenge. Would, maybe they'll... Amplify with these. Yeah, the maybe. Yeah, maybe. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Or, or we could write out questions and we could just record them. It'd be cool. I'm really into legacy and um, I've been thinking about this a little bit with my own family as like some of my aunts and uncles are in their 80s and mm. I'm like, oh, it'd be so, I, I, there's just like questions I never got to ask my mom before she died. Mm. Um, and so. Yeah, the knowledge that the, you know, the older generation holds, like our culture, it's so sad that we kind of hide them away or put them away and like we into like these homes and stuff and um, they have so much beautiful knowledge to share and like the elders, they're sacred, you know, like their mm-hmm. wisdom and who they are. And yeah, I think that, um, to honor them, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So my meditation practice, I would say started with, um, with my parents on the skeety. <laughs> um, and I don't think that I was aware. No, I know I wasn't aware that that's what was happening, but to be more conscious of my breathing and when I was upset and really they gave me the tools. Um, but I don't think it was until, you know, I got back onto my mat, um, with Julia McCabe and Whistler when I had my head concussion, my brain damage and stuff that I started going back into trying to heal. So, Oh, it actually was with my dad. I had my concussion and I was like, okay, my brain is broken basically, and I need to heal it or work it. So I took the basic Jinjindo course with my dad on the skeety. Mm. And I remember we would do, oh, he had so many cool things, but um, we'd lay down in a circle and he had um, two people come with the didgeridoo. And I love that word, the didgeridoo. The vibration is so powerful. And they did this whole like sound bath around us with the didge. <laughs> the didge. The didge. Yeah. Whoa. I got, I got one. I still can't figure out how to play it. But it's a lot of breathing, which is interesting. I just haven't figured out the technique. Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow, so that was like my first. It came from having a brain injury and trying to heal. And um, But the thing with that is that every time I closed my eyes and got to a dark, like I say dark place because it's like, closed off of light, um, it brought me back into my trauma of my injury of being knocked out unconscious and waking up and being told I may have broken my back and not to move or my neck. And, um, it kept on bringing me back to that place of deep, deep fear. Um, so I couldn't go there for a long time. I'd come out and I just start crying and, um, really, you know, upset. Like it was fucking terrifying and it ended my snowboard career. So Mm -hmm. it ended, uh, a part of myself, like died that day. And I think my identity died that day of like who I was as a snowboarder. Um, and you know, like, like my profession ultimately, like that's what I was doing and trying. Yeah. Like everything, right? Drive motivation, passion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Identity. It was my identity. Mm -hmm. You know, I was this, but do you say that's your ego? 
Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 Oh, one oh, thousand percent. Yeah. yeah. Throw that word in. Yeah. Good old ego, <laughs> which is great. I mean, the ego is great, but it, it was the death of that part of my ego, um, mm-hmm. in that transition to the next, you know, person I was meant to be, which was of the seat of the teacher. But so in that meditation, it was that and then others. So anytime I closed my eyes and I went into meditation, I would go back to that traumatic experience. Mm. And because brain injuries weren't really looked at back then, no, it's I was like 20, now. yeah, I was in my 20s and way, I mean, they take it so much more serious now, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I was overlooked. And so I wasn't properly taken care of within the system. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the tools either. I didn't understand um, other than my gut. And I did listen to that. Um, So it it took me a long time of searching and figuring out, I would say back again until like years later till I was, you know, I don't know, years later, maybe mid twenties, late twenties that until I went back onto my yoga mat Mm -hmm. and then back with Julia McCabe, who I started like practicing religiously with. <laughs> well, I just think of when we interviewed her and she said, there you were, front row. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Eager. Bringing flowers. Eager. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember I told her I loved her and she's like, I think you love the yoga. I'm like, no, I think I'm in love with you. She's like, <laughs> she's you said like, that? Oh, yeah. I was like, I think I'm in love with you. She's like, you're in love with yoga. She's, oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Yeah, so funny. Although I do love her to death, but I think that it took me a long time to break Julia down to like, like to be her friend. Cause I think she was like, oh, you're a student. There's a bit of a boundary and a distance. And finally uh, huge, I'm like, huge boundary and distance. Yeah. yeah which is respect. Like totally <laughs> yeah. get it. And finally I got her, I hooked her as a friend. I'm like, fuck yeah, you're my friend. You're not, you're not, well, can't well, get rid of me that easily. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> babe. Well, then you became like a, yeah, like both teachers. Yeah. Um, it's really funny though. Cause I was listening to the psychologist in, um, a podcast and the host asked him if it was unprofessional to become friends with the person that you're treating or like the sort of like the parameters of the relationship from a professional lens. And he said, you know, after working together for 20 years, I think it would be strange if you didn't have some level of like kinship to it. Um, but I think in the beginning, you do have to have like those professional parameters. Um, but yeah, so it kind of just evolves and stuff too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I agree with that. I mean, I think that we, not that, I don't think the word caution is there, but like maybe it is a little bit of a caution. There should be, I think there should be a boundary. Yeah. And I think when people are approaching like, um, developing like a new practice or they're going to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a counselor there, it's, they're coming from a place of seeking right? Mm -hmm. So they're not completely whole or there's like something that they're trying to like reassemble or heal. It's not like you're like, my life is so awesome. I'm going to go to a counselor just to like talk about how awesome it is. Or like, you you know what I mean? Like you're usually coming from some sort of like event or trauma or like desperation or like you're seeking to change something. And what happens often is that we see that person that we go to as look at them as, and I, I say healer, but I don't, Mm. they are not the healer. It's all on you, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) you yourself, but the person that aids you or helps you or directs you or guides you as the teacher, sometimes that relationship can be miscued as like, oh, you healed me. And so therefore you have this power that's above me. And that's when the misuse of power happens. So it's kind of a fine line for both parties, um, both people to take responsibility for where that is. And you can sense, and again, over time, 
there does become a relationship with your students. And I think that it's an interesting topic, especially in the yoga world, because of the misuse of power that can come forth and people that perhaps take advantage of the situation. And that's, unfortunately, you got to come back to like integrity, especially like, do you have a family and is this relationship getting like sexual and, you know, come back to your integrity of what's going on. And real, I've got great friendships that have blossomed through Mm. student teacher relationship. But then I've also had, you know, as I'm sure a lot of yoga teachers can say, um, you know, I've had the ones that are a little bit over obsessive or even stalker like that had, you know, there has to be lines put in place. I think it's approaching things cautiously for sure. I think though some of the motivation between some of the seeking is very interesting too, because I think some people that want to put themselves in an elevated position are seeking power and control to like maybe make up for something that happened to them or they have some sort of neuroses or, you know, it's like feeding like their ego on on some level. So they could just be a, um, what's the word? A predator, you know? Mm. And I think that it's like a really slippery slope because I was listening to Oprah talking about um, when she was abused as a child and it wasn't until she interviewed a pedophile or somebody on her show he, he discussed the grooming process of like switching somebody to that and he said you start like tickling or, or like you do like these little things and then you see how the person's body re- reacts and then as they get like more and more comfortable then you like kind of just like keep pushing the line mm. and she said that that was so insane for her because she was a victim of abuse from somebody like in her family someone she trusted and it did start very innocently and then she carried the shame of that forever because she thought she was the one that like triggered it Mm. and like she deserved it because she had like done something but it was a very calculated or maybe not even calculated like it wasn't her how do we get on that I don't know fucking love our rant oh because we were talking about the misabuse of power and I think we're thinking of like a lot of like um are we even allowed to talk about those things but like well like the big ones when I think of like is it John Friend and Bikram and yeah you know it's like stuff like cult thing I think anything from grace hard I just I don't misuse of power misuse of ego and I think just like failure to realize that we are all human you know like Mm -hmm. doctors make mistakes yoga teachers make mistakes, you know, like everybody makes mistakes, but anybody that says I never make a mistake, that's like the biggest red flag that, um, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're not coming from a place of like openness or growth. Yeah, totally. I hear you. Yeah. And back into the meditation practice, I think that it's, um, it's a lifelong practice. Yeah, And it's going to ebb and flow depending on where you're at and what you need. And different techniques are going to shift and change the same way that even like if you practice more like physical asana, which is, you know, here in the West, we do a lot of is that our body, some days it feels like really good and other days we're like, oh, I feel like it feels hurtful or, you know, I feel lazy or I feel more like I want to go for a power and like, oh, I feel like a yin, like it ebb and flows. And I feel like meditation for the time of day, um, and I think it's exploring these different techniques that um, that you find out that resonate with you. Like, mm-hmm. is it mantra, like japa? Japa mantra is meant to be repeated, like um, a nirguna mantra. Do you remember what a nirguna mantra is? No sage. Yes, which means what? Well, sage is the mantras that are doing this to Shiva the destroyer. Mm-hmm. But nirguna meaning 
Oh, what is it then? So if it's not to a, a god or a goddess, what it would be to? They're like, short, simple mantras. Like just to ourselves. Yeah. And so like check-ins or... Yeah. yeah. So basically, Nirguna mantras, I when I shared with Andrea to remember yeah. by no sage. Oh, yeah. Nirguna. And it's like, I am... Yes. So hum, it's like to the higher self. Yes. So instead of uh, chanting to like Shiva, which is a God energy outside of us, Mm -hmm. even though it's within us, obviously, but it's about connecting to, um, without a a God or an archetype architect. Wow. But do you think like with Saguna, when, when you are going with like a sage and stuff, Mm -hmm. you are just surrendering all power and then Nirguna is like kind of like to build yourself up and to feel yourself so that you can like feel empowered to sort of like walk you could look at it like that i don't think surrendering your power is a good idea ever um <laughs> but isn't that kind of drop what... into surrendering to the divine but like... isn't surrender like hariom isn't that kind of just like surrendering into it like just knowing there's yeah a bigger yeah. nyasa bigger trust yeah 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 i like it andrea yeah so i think like if you're looking for you're using an energy current that's within you. Let's say Ganesha, the remover of obstacles. Everyone loves Ganesha, so we'll use him. Well, he just doesn't go away. Do we love him or is he persistent? <laughs> he's persistent. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like got destroyed tons. my life. Oh, good. Oh, good. Well, you got a little Shiva in there as well. Yeah, so Ganesha like um, puts obstacles in your path was actually one of my favorite things that he does because it directs you. It makes you look at this like hard rock or wall within front of you. It's like, oh, deadbolt, stop, you know, stop your path because you're going the wrong direction. So he helps to redirect you. So, which can feel like chaos, obviously. You're like, wait a minute, but I want to jump over that way. I want to go that way. And the, the universe is like, no, but your path is actually hard, right? Like you're going the wrong way. So he puts things in your path, but he also directs you and clears the path. So you might notice in your life when things are happening um, and smoothly and things just open up, that's like you're on your track and Ganesh is there to clear the pathway because you're on the right track. So calling energy, calling in his mantras are to help you direct, like direct you and calling in this, okay, guide me. Like, um, like when I was in Bali, the volcano was erupting, the flights were canceled left, right, and center, I had a retreat happening. And I was like, I went up to the Ganesha statue, I kneeled and I fucking prayed and I chanted and I chanted from my heart and was like, clear the path, get everybody home safe. And of course, you know, three days, four days later, everything lit up and everything got home and everyone was fine. So those are moments of those Saguna mantras to help. And then the Nirguna mantras are mantras that you want to drop in to the higher consciousness of meditation. So easier repetition, mm. like Soham, Soham, Hariyom, Om, Aham, Brahma, Azmi. Um, those really easy repetition, like Japa. So you say it out loud. It's super simple. So your mind doesn't have to think too much. And you just drop into repetition, repetition. Eventually the sound softens and you go into a quiet, quiet space. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So is it Tiara? Yeah. I wonder if she is in our um, Mythic Mantra course. Uh, I don't know. She's been a long time practitioner. So she... Yeah. So we created this Mythic Mantra course, self-paced, online, goes through like everything, goes through like the yoga teachings... And so it's an intro. So if you already mm. know like the Gayatri and you're like, ad- not advanced, but you know, have a lot of knowledge around mantra, you want to wait for course two. This course is like the introduction to the beginning of learning meditation, how to find your seat, how to create an altar, journaling questions, and simple mantras to get us back into the foundation. Because a lot of us are so neurotic these days <laughs> and same, same, same right here. But 
this practice is like using these simpler mantras to ground us and for daily practice, daily repetition and, and um, simplicity because we need simplicity. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's something to be said about starting over and like cleaning the slate and, oh yeah, Crystal just opened our mythic mantra journal and turned to Ganesha, the mm-hmm. Ganesha page. But yeah. I think there's something to be said for like going through everything from the beginning with the eyes of an experienced student, but then being able to absorb things in a different way because of a different level of understanding or awareness. Yeah. I think, I don't know. And I think like for Naguna mantras, like they are super simple and that's why, um, they're so efficient too that way. Cause you can just drop in mm-hmm. and then it's like, it's almost like, um, very, meditative (laughs) yeah and and honestly one of my favorite like we can use mantra sure Mm -hmm. i'm a big advocate for mantra but breath work breath work the Mm -hmm. pranayam like the pranayam is so powerful and like even as we talked with jules on the last um podcast like we do like two breaths and I'm fucking gone. Like I launch, but I think that comes over time over practice. Right. So of course we have all these other tools that make take you a little bit longer to drop into that euphoric state of stillness. Enlightenment is like a seven second pause in your thought. That's it. Whoa. Uh Uh-huh. And, and so I feel like these breaths and I love, um, like we talked about this earlier that I wanted to teach today anyway, so it's perfect. But like the simple yogic breath, like an inhale for six counts and um, an exhale for six counts, you'd start there. And you start to add the the kumbhakas, so the inhale to the top, and you hold the breath. This is antara kumbhaka, holding the breath for six seconds and then exhaling for six and then you'd inhale again, hold and go down. So, and then eventually you actually hold the breath out for six seconds as well. However, that's a little bit more like advanced, but I had a, a mantra or it's not a mantra. It's a, a statement to it from Yogi Bhajan. I think I talked about this before. My mom gave me a CD um, that she had of Yogi G's from like the seventies. No, I guess this, the, the CDs weren't open in nineties, eighties or something. Nineties, oh, okay. probably nineties so CD. You weren't, you weren't in the womb. Yeah. No. Well, in the 90s, I was not 60s no, or no. 70s. Yeah. yeah, but it got basically this teaching got put onto a disc, and I was like, oh, cool. It was so so interesting to hear his talk, right? And like what he's got to say. So the whole disc, the whole hour, there's two discs. The whole hour on one of them was this repetition, and I just added a breath work practice to it. Mm. So, um, love it. Yeah, but before we get into that, was there something else you want to say? You look eager. I'll say it to you, but I don't know if we'll share it. Yeah. I don't think we'll share this part on it. But like when I was 23, I had never had an orgasm. And so my friends got me a vibrator, but it was an internal, like it was like, like way bigger than what I currently have today. And I was just like, holy Holy shit. shit. That's a game changer. Yeah. We should should totally add this in. Well, in class the other day, (laughs) I was teaching a backbending class. And the the beautiful thing about backbends, like deep backbends, like wheel pose, or I call it chakrasana because it activates all the seven energy centers in the body, Mm -hmm. but not the shtanga chakrasana. Chakrasana and ashtanga, you grab your ankles and your heads to your heels, which who the fuck can do that other than like, a little bit limited amount of people but or, chakrasana or, or people with like the actual physical characteristics where they that's can, what i mean yeah, yeah it's, uh, there are people obviously my out sister there. yeah totally mm-hmm. we have those those friends my sister too but um 
most people can't do that. So Urdhva Dhanurasana or wheel pose is your hands on the ground and it activates all the seven energy centers in the body. So it's really stimulating, right? And you get this big surge of prana through the spine. So when you come out, there's this feeling I experience like euphoria or like this like surge of like orgasmic sensation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they even say like when you sneeze, it also has this like, it mm-hmm. has a similar energy of an orgasm. Um, and so in the class <laughs> I said, I'm like, you know, we're going to do deep back bending. We're going to do chakra class. We're going to activate this energy. When the idea is that when you come out, I want you to be still. A lot of people come out of back bending and they squeeze their knees in and they miss that moment of magic that's in the pause, that space between, right? Like the seven, um, mm-hmm. seven space count. Mm-hmm. And that's where like it said that God lives or the divine lives in that spot and that pot (laughs) wow that pot that pop (laughs) pot spot what yeah in that spot so when we come out we want to pause to feel the sensation i'm like and it's euphoric it's also can feel orgasmic Mm -hmm. and and i talked about this in class and so we're doing the class and get them out of it the one girl i'm like the one lady mentioned up she's like um i would thought i was guaranteed an orgasm in this class She said, I thought I was, or I didn't think I was. I, I thought I was. Oh, she didn't have one. She didn't have she one. Didn't and I was like, all right, well, we got to do another one then. I mean, like. Yeah, everything comes in threes. Know, yeah, yeah. everything comes in threes. But in yoga, like the minimum back bending, we're supposed to be like 21. Mm. And we do three. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, oh. we'll, build, we'll build up to that. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty funny. Well, it's kind of interesting too. I don't know enough about this, but um, how like a lot of women don't orgasm and stuff, but it's very mental. It's like things Mm. that are like holding them back from that. I had a leap done. Um, they found like cancer cells in my cervix. So they cut out like Mm. a chunk of my cervix and then it scarred. Mm -hmm. And so after that, I found it was a lot harder and over Mm. time it's kind of, maybe it's healed itself or not, but it's fine now. But um, there was a chunk of time, but I was also like, fuck you guys. You didn't tell me that that was a thing first Mm -hmm. off, that that would be a repercussion of this. And even when I talked to my mom, she's like, oh my God, why did you get surgery? You should have told me I have medicine that like herbal herbs, Chinese herbs that could have cleansed out and shed the cancerous cells Mm. or the irregular cells. And I was like, damn it. Oh, I want some of those. Yeah. Well, talk to Dr. Samantha Jennings. (laughs) Who will be on the pod soon, I hope. Yeah. Let's have her on. I like it. I think playing around with time of day, like I have a harder time meditating in the morning because I don't want to fall back into sleep state. Yeah. So meditating in the evening is actually easier for mm-hmm. me personally. Mm-hmm. So finding the time of day that you feel best. So it's a bit of self-study, that discovery of the self. Um, and that's fun. Yeah. And like things that are set yourself up. So, you know, maybe... What it, do you think about journaling? So, you know, like the, your time, like time of day, how you felt, like a check-in or something? Yeah, you. I mean, sure, you could do that. I don't journal, but I love how much you love to these journal questions and how much you use journaling. And a lot of people do use journaling. Yeah, and yeah, and if you want to see a pattern, I don't if love you don't it. Remember, it's just this is what I've been told. Tool. Like, well, my neurologist because I have those ocular migraines, and she mm. was like, every time you have one, journal about it, so you know like what time of day, if it was in one eye, the other eye, what were things like that were going on for you. Mm. Um, yeah, so you can find a pattern. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, you could definitely, if you want to go that route, you can find a pattern um, or you could just practice it and see like mm-hmm. for this week, I'm going to try meditating three times a week. Um, first week's going to be in the morning. Next week's going to be the evening. See which one resonated easier for you. And then again, it goes back to techniques. So it's kind of like the elimination diet, <laughs> like mm-hmm. try it and see which one works and then keep working with that one. But again, it can shift and change. So so be open. Well, I want to thank 
T for writing into us. It was, we definitely took like a circuitous route here, but as we always do, as we always do, because she listens to the pod, she knows what's going on. We're going to give you a free ohm course that you can do and maybe just like bring it back to the basics. And, and, um, yeah, if you're interested in exploring more, we do have our mythic mantra course, which is 149.99 Canadian. Let's practice some techniques. All right. So we're going to do two, um, techniques. And we'll do them back to back so you can, we'll, we'll do the Brahmari. Now the Brahmari, I love the Brahmari honeybee breath. It stimulates the pineal, pineal gland, tomato, tomato, mm-hmm. um, the pineal, pineal gland to secrete the melatonin, which will help in our meditation. So doing a couple of Brahmari before you drop in is nice. It'll set you up. If you're going to do a mantra, like a Japa mantra, repetition of a Nirguna mantra, it'll also activate and support your throat. So that'll get your vocal cords ready as well. Sometimes I find the Brahmari is enough, but then also lead you into a practice of Yogi G's, which is my mom and father's teacher. Um, And this is a breathing technique. And then we'll drop in the same breath. I'll guide you through this. The same breath technique, but then I'll be repeating a saying (laughs) or a prayer or a statement as you do the breath. And I'll guide you through that. So to begin, you're going to, if you're in a place to close your eyes, close your eyes. And so if you, you can drop into the meditation practice in preparation. So get comfortable in your seat. Do get comfortable. So make sure that you don't feel like you have to fidget and you're supported. Sometimes sitting against a wall can help or using props underneath the knees or the seat. And eyes closed and they're soft. And there's a a brightness around the eyes here. So eyes are closed, but there's a, a lighter sensation softening. We tend to grip here. Here, Andrea's breathing. I love it. Drop into a breath if you like. Mm-hmm. With Brahmari, this honeybee, your tongue is pressing up to the top of the roof, the roof of the mouth. And the gaze goes into the third eye. So just between the brow, slightly above. And when we make the vibrational sound of the end of the om, or the honeybee sound, this draws energy towards the back of the skull where the pineal gland lives to stimulate and so see if you can feel the vibration in this third eye area we're going to do five so we'll take a a full inhale and hum it out to the end of the exhale and we'll keep going so for your first one take a breath
ask you that you soften your tongue away from the roof of your mouth. And you can keep your gaze inwards. Allowing the vibration to settle. This next part is a six count inhale. We'll hold the breath for six counts and then we'll exhale for six. So I'll have you take a cleansing breath first, take an inhale. Part your lips and offer your breath all the way out. We're gonna to inhale together for six, five, four, three, two, one. Hold your inhale for six, five, four, three, two, one. Exhale for six, five, four, three, two, and one. Inhale for six, five, four, three, two, one. Hold for six, five, four, three, two, one. And exhale for six, five, four, three, two, one. One more round, inhale for six, five, four, three, two, one, hold, six, five, four, three, two, one, exhale for six, five, four, three, two, and one. Then pause, take some natural breaths. And so the next stage of that layering onto the breath is the same, we do the six inhale, we hold for six and we exhale for six, but now I'm gonna say uh, a repetition. So this is what I say, I say, I'm not my body, I'm not my mind, I'm not my spirit, I'm the breath of God. Breath of life, breath of life, the breath of God. And then we're gonna repeat that for the hold, and then I'm gonna repeat that for the exhale. It's about six to seven seconds, so it's the same amount of time that you've been breathing and holding, but now I just say it and I'll guide you. Okay, so you're gonna take an inhale fully. Empty all your lungs out to the very end of your breath. And then you'll begin your inhale. I am not my body, I'm not my mind, I'm not my spirit, I'm the breath of God. Breath of life, breath of life, the breath of God, hold. I'm not my body, I'm not my mind, I'm not my spirit, I'm the breath of God. Breath of life, breath of life, breath of life. Exhale, I'm not my body, I'm not my mind, I'm not my spirit, I'm the breath of God. Breath of life, breath of life, the breath of God. Inhale, I'm not my body, I'm not my mind, I'm not my spirit, I'm the breath of God. Breath of life, breath of life, the breath of God. Hold, I'm not my body, I'm not my mind, I'm not my spirit, I'm the breath of God. Breath of life, breath of life, the breath of God. Exhale. I'm not my body, I'm not my mind, I'm not my spirit, I'm the breath of God. Breath of life, breath of life, the breath of God. Inhale. I am not my body, I'm not my mind, I'm not my spirit, I'm the breath of God. Breath of life, breath of life, the breath of God. Hold. I'm not my body, I'm not my mind, I'm not my spirit, I'm the breath of God. Breath of life, breath of life, breath of God. Exhale. I'm not my body, I'm not my mind, I'm not my spirit, I'm the breath of God. Breath of life. Breath of life, the breath of God. Inhale slowly. 
hold at the top and you're going to hold for as long as it feels good in your body. You could even apply the bandhas, drop your chin down and back, jalantara, squeeze up and hold your pelvic floor, belly in and up. No pressure in around the heart, Tata kumbhaka. And you feel the call, chin lifts, you slowly exhale all the way out, soften the bandhas all the way to the end. And then you're going to sit in the space. Take notice of how you feel. So the this was two, three techniques are a way to help you drop in. And I hope that that helped. Andrea, how are you feeling? Are you focusing on the dog? No, I'm not listening to the dog. Like I think I just like dropped in and feel so calm and mm. I find when I'm super stressed, that should be like time to do a little six count breath work. Yeah, six counts powerful. The next stage of that is like the samavritti or they call it like the square breathing. So be the, the same thing. Like Inhale for six. Breaths. Yeah, hold mm -hmm. for a six, exhale for six, and then hold for six counts as well. Mm -hmm. But I find the people that you have to build up to that, that can feel like, I think we actually did that once and it just felt like it was a bit too much, mm -hmm. the holding. I think um, we did it with Julia, maybe. No, that mm -hmm. was the four, seven, eight count breath oh, recently. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is really powerful. Ladder. I love that one. But the, um, we've so done the six, breaths. yeah, so many breaths. Mm -hmm. We've done the six count before, but the full cycle, so you hold the exhale as well. But it, mm -hmm. I find people get, um, it feels too much. It feels like um, tight yeah. in the chest. Boom. This is the Daily Practice Podcast with Crystal Borelli and Andrea Holman. Yeah, life teachings, life practices. Good luck. Om Harium Harium Harium. If you want to check us out on the World Wide Web, our website is thedailypractice.life. And on there, we have all kinds of resources, but we have a free full moon course. It's about an hour long. There's a yoga practice, pranayama. You'll learn a mantra as well as story time and all taught by Crystal Borelli. Hurry up.